1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. Once a month, I release this extra special episode in a series I'm calling A Rare Collection. It features three people from the rare disease community, each telling a true short story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the fifth episode in the new storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling and believe there's so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever and that this is what I get to do for fun, passion, and purpose. The theme for the three stories you're about to hear is courage. The storytellers have the utmost freedom to be creative and take the theme wherever their heart desires. Hold your hearts for this one, my friends. Here is a story from Felix Townsend, big brother to Lexi, who had Blau syndrome.
2: The day my sister lost her life, I thought my world was over. I thought that I wouldn't be able to continue. Lexi was the best sister you could possibly ask for. She was kind, she was funny, and she was cute. She was the perfect sister. She had the best smile and the biggest belly laugh. She would always make people laugh. I couldn't ask for anyone better. When I was with her, I always felt like an amazing person. Lexi had a rare disease called blouse Syndrome. It caused her a lot of pain. She had arthritis in her joints and inflammation all throughout her body. I worried about her all the time, but she was so brave. Most people would not have known how sick she was. Sometimes people would say, she doesn't look sick, but we knew better. Lexi would always take needles and hospital visits so easily, so courageously. I would watch and think, wow, I wish I could do what she can. My dad and I both hate needles, and Lexi would have to help us both when we went to get blood work done. Lexi was having trouble with her vision. All the signs were saying she was going to go blind. She had to take painful eye drops all the time. She would listen to her favorite My Little Pony song. It's time to be awesome. And she made it look so easy. One day, my dad tried to do one of the eye drops with her, and he couldn't believe how much it hurt. He thought he was going to show her how easy it was, but he made it look really painful. I was so scared Lexi would lose her vision, but she never seemed scared. Then, the worst thing happened. It happened so unexpectedly. One day, we were at home with my grandma having a good time, like we always do when my grandma visits. Then... The next day, she wouldn't stop throwing up. She was really sick. We brought her to the hospital. I stayed with my aunt for a couple of days. While I was there, Lexi was sent on a helicopter to a new hospital in Vancouver. I went there with my grandma and my aunt. It was so shocking to see Lexi like that. She was all swollen and didn't look natural. She was unconscious, and it was horrible. When her doctor came in the room, I asked her if she had helped patients who were as sick as Lexi and how many of those people went home from the hospital. She said that when Lexi first arrived, she wasn't very confident Lexi would go home. But that she had seen so much improvement that she felt much better about Lexi's chances. I told her she needed to do everything she could to help my sister. Some of my family slept at the hospital but I stayed with my aunt at a place called the Ronald McDonald House. It was really cool. There was a slide that went from one floor to the other. There was video games and teen hangouts. We would visit the hospital lots. Soon after that, it seemed like Lexi was getting a lot better. She was on medications, and it seemed like she would be okay. We were all expecting her to get out of there soon. I was playing games in the waiting room just before I was going to bed, and my parents came in crying. I always prepared for the worst when they came in the room and would ask just so I could feel relieved, Is she dead? But this time they said yes. I was shocked. I didn't believe it. I asked them to say it again, and they said yes. Then I was just broken. I thought I wouldn't be able to continue. Two years later, thanks to the amazing love and support of my family, friends, and my school, I am living a nice, happy life. People tell me I am courageous but I never think of it that way. My parents told me to look up the definition, and it said, courage, the ability to do something that scares you, or to have strength in the face of grief and or pain. I know Lexi had courage as she faced her illness with so much strength. I think I am learning how to be courageous from Lexi. I'm still not nearly as courageous as Lexi, but I'm still trying. I've learned from Lexi that courage is moving through the pain. There are no shortcuts, there's no hiding from it, and no ignoring it. But we still make space for the things we love. I will always carry this pain, but I choose not to let it weigh me down. Despite her pain, Lexi chose every day to live her best life. And as hard as it is, I will do the same.
0: Here is a story from Erica Jolene Stearns patient with non-isolated fistula, and rare mama to Margo and Carrie, who both have a mutation on the LSS gene.
3: My first memories of courage are those that I share with my mother. And while I didn't consider these moments courageous at the time, I'll never forget the courage we both had to find when sitting in the waiting room on surgery days. Especially in those final moments When it was time for me to release from her warm embrace for the operating room that was awaiting me, this was an experience I was far too familiar with for someone so young. She didn't tell me to be brave. She didn't tell me not to cry. She simply told me stories of what we would do once this day had passed and we were back at home. And that was enough to comfort me. It was enough to give me the strength to break away from her embrace and face the changes that awaited me. As I grew up, courage began to look a little different. It was showing up to the public swimming pool with tegraderm covering my trach and a promise to my mom that I knew I was about to break as I stepped off that high dive and plunged into the deep end. Few people at the pool understood the danger I had put myself in to do such a foolish thing, but I did it, and I would certainly hear about it from my mother later. What people at that pool did take notice of and ask me about were the scars that covered my abdomen, like roadmaps of my medical history, and the trach that was covered by what they thought was just a fancy form of duct tape. Truth be told, those questions made me feel just as uncomfortable as their stares, and I often struggled to find words to respond to the questions from these strangers. Instead, I made up whatever elaborate story that first came to mind, And I got really freaking good at this as time went on. I got away with these exaggerations of truth because I was wise enough to know that most people were bored by the medical details, but everyone loves a good story. Courage was somehow knowing at a young age that I really didn't owe anyone an explanation. Throughout my childhood and early adolescence, I frequently had to find courage when confronted by bullies. Despite feeling completely beaten and broken by their words, it took courage to ignore their hatefulness, and it took strength to persevere through the pain and face those same bullies again and again with each new day. And then one unexpected day, I found myself standing up for instead of standing up to. The meanest bully of them all, after an accident had resulted in him becoming disabled, and bullied as well. It took a brave new form of courage to forgive them for their past behavior and to support them as they navigated their new norm. At 15 years old, I disagreed with a team of medical experts who were all talking at me instead of with me. In a room full of doctors, I was presented with only two choices, an operation that would make my voice better by making my breathing worse or vice versa. With my raspy, breathy voice, I chose to challenge them. And what about the third option, I asked? What about the option to do nothing at all? The thing is, it shouldn't have taken courage to tell a room full of doctors that I didn't need to be fixed, that I was perfectly happy with the way I sounded and the way I could breathe. But it did. It took courage to tell these people who were not living my life that their textbooks were wrong, that an operation which would force me to sacrifice one thing for the other, it was not going to improve my quality of life and I didn't want to change a thing about myself at all. Courage was saying with a shaky voice that something was dangerously wrong with my newborn child and then saying it over and over again when it felt like nobody was listening. As I held on to my baby whose body was trembling from uncontrollable movements. I also had to hold an entire nursery accountable for ignoring my concerns and not providing her proper care. In a moment, my life had shifted from advocating for myself to advocating for my child. And that shift, it ignited this fierceness in me that I had never before known to exist. I learned to trust my gut and to feel confident in my knowledge that didn't come from formal education, but instead from a lifetime of personal experiences. And speaking of parenthood, it takes a form of courage that one simply cannot understand without experiencing it. My rocky entry into motherhood forced me to revisit my own childhood, but this time through a different lens, As I grappled with a whirlwind of mixed emotions, I called my mom and with tears flooding my face, I apologized to her for having told her a few years before that she didn't have the right to feel grief for the trauma she went through when I was a child and that she didn't have the right to share about her experiences that were so deeply intertwined with my own. It takes courage to admit that I was wrong and misinformed about so many things. I was wrong to want to hide the disabled parts of myself for fear of the stigma that I had unknowingly subscribed to. I was wrong to deny myself the option to identify with a community of people, my people who I could have related to all along rather than spending my life alone trying to prove the world wrong. And I was wrong to have spent my whole life trying to separate myself from a label that I'm so very proud to bear now. I was wrong to deny my mother the freedom to express how her personal journey as my advocate shaped her. And I was wrong to think that I would know exactly what to do and how to advocate for my children because I had grown up with disabilities as well. Living in the intersection of being both a disabled person and now a parent of two disabled children, I've had to find a new source of courage as I navigate amplifying the voices of both groups. Courage is using this voice that I was told I would never have to share about my life on my terms as a disabled person, a caregiver, medical professional, advocate, and researcher, and understanding that I might say the wrong thing as I openly navigate the process of unlearning everything I thought I once knew. It also takes courage to listen to the experiences of others so that we might learn and find comfort from hearing about their experiences, too. We all have a story worth sharing, a story worth hearing, a story worth learning from. And I believe the human connection and community building, it can start with just that, a little bit of courage and a story. Here's a story from Marin McLaughlin
0: who's a patient with HBSL, hypomyelination with brainstem and spinal cord involvement, and leg spasticity.
4: When I was 11, two of my sisters and I took an improv class. One of the lessons they taught us there was yes and. Yes and is a way to keep going throughout an improvised scene and stay on your feet, or in my case, wheels. To prove how important yes and was, we tried a new exercise, in which we said, no, but, as opposed to saying, yes, and. And let's just say we proved how important it was in the end. I think this relates to disability because a lot of the time, we are given what I like to call the despite of narrative as opposed to the with narrative, which in short means we have to live despite of our disabilities, not with. This can be harmful because if you are loving yourself despite of something that's such a huge part of who you are and not loving yourself with it, then that's not loving you fully. And honestly speaking, I think that at times the words brave, inspirational, and courageous can be uncomfortable for some disabled people because it can enforce the despite of narrative by saying, you are so brave for living despite your disability. And when I try to lean into living with my disability, instead of fighting it, there's always this idea in my head of being too much or too little. If I advocate for disability, I can kind of feel the tension in the room shift towards me. And it feels like no one wants to hear how upset I am or how much that ableist thing affects me. But then when I talk about disability less in an effort to make others more comfortable, I feel guilty because I feel like I'm not saying or doing enough to help combat the ableism that is ingrained in society and may even be ingrained in those I'm close to because unfortunately that's the way the world works. Then there's the thought that I ask for help too much and I'm this big burden or I'm not asking for help enough and I'll end up getting hurt or costing other people if I don't ask for the help I need. And truthfully, always trying to figure out exactly what is enough, it's exhausting. But my advice is to release the fear of being too much or too little and just let go of the need to be everything. Live into the with narrative by saying, I'm disabled and I'm beautiful. I'm disabled and I'm proud. I'm disabled and whatever your mantra may be because the sooner you start accepting your disability and celebrating the ups and downs instead of avoiding it, the better. Your disability is not the only important thing about you, but it's still an extremely important part of you to recognize because when you live in a world that discriminates against you, it's necessary to not discriminate against yourself. Learn about who you are with and not despite of your disability. Learn not to reject your disabled self and how to unconditionally love and unapologetically be your whole self. And hey, at the end of the day, being perfect and being everything is impossible. If you choose to just be you, completely you, that is the most important, and I think most courageous, thing you could ever do. I know it's not easy but I'm learning and getting better with the way I view my disabled body every day. It's hard work and it might be one step forward and three steps back or whatever that looks like for you, but
0: as long as you're willing,
4: you can do it. I believe in you.
0: Here's a story from Brianna, daughter to Jason Colquitt, who has a mitochondrial disorder.
1: When I was a senior in high school, we went into my local hospital, And we went to each floor of the hospital and just were able to find our niche and where we would like to one day be able to work. Also in this class, we were taught how to perform CPR and we were certified in it. And since then, CPR has become a huge passion of mine. And of course, it centers around my education being a nursing major. But I have found a readiness and am always prepared to perform at any time Just in the field that I'm in. When I was a senior in high school, I got a call from my mom to go check on my neighbor who we were very close to. And I went over to his house. His house isn't that far from ours. And I found him unconscious. So with the teaching I had, I began to perform CPR. It definitely took a lot of courage on my part because it was the first time I had ever performed it on an actual person. It was a very scary experience, but I also knew that I had had the proper training to be able to perform CPR properly. So I continued CPR up until the paramedics got there. Then the paramedics took my neighbor to the hospital. He did not make it, but I was told that I did everything correctly. This past Christmas, was able to help my dad. Because of my previous experience my senior year, I had done a lot of research about the heart and heart conditions and what could go wrong with the heart and it has become one of my biggest passions along with cpr i knew the signs and symptoms of a heart attack and my dad this past christmas had one i was able to catch the signs early because of the research i had done and we were able to get him to a hospital after both of these experiences i felt called to make a difference. And I have since had the courage to work with the American Heart Association, thanks to my dad. And we are creating a national curriculum that is focused on education and educating people around heart attacks and the mental aspects that come with lay responders performing
0: CPR. This
1: is my story where I found courage and I'm very thankful because it has pushed me to become a nurse.
0: I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear,
3: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha